The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq turn in their worst week since March, with tech giant Apple weighing heavily, while non-farm payrolls miss expectations with a gain of 187,000 jobs in July. Siemens Energy cuts its revenue outlook and posts a third quarter net loss of almost 3 billion euros, with the German group warning of further serious challenges in its wind unit, Gamesa. We'll be speaking to the CEO, Christian Brook, at 7.10 CET. There's a first on CNBC. Berkshire Hathaway's cash pile jumps to nearly $150 billion as Warren Buffett's conglomerate posts a near 7% rise in operating earnings with the Oracle of Omaha's investments in Apple and Chevron paying off. Crude holds near four-month highs after seeing a sixth straight week of gains as energy giant Saudi Aramco prepares to unveil its first half earnings later this morning. And Chinese officials reportedly back further talks on a Ukraine peace framework, with EU representatives hailing their constructive input at weekend talks in Jeddah. We'll be speaking to Oleg Yushchenko, that is the economic advisor to President Zelensky at 8.30 CET. Nice to be back in the big seat this morning and uh, seeing all of you. It has certainly been a big week on markets and Tanvir is here to run us through some of those big numbers, the non-farm payrolls, Tanvir, but quite a week on markets as I think a lot of investors took stock of the bond situation as well, oh, just what treasuries were doing. Yeah, and the bond markets have wiped off their gains uh, for the most of this year. So we'll talk about that, Karen. Firstly, welcome back. Great to have you in the studio. Uh, let me just uh, walk you through what Karen was pointing out in terms of the action that played out the week gone by. U.S. markets close on Friday session look like this. Half a percent downtick for the three major averages. Uh, for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq, uh, it was the fourth successive day of losses, which gets reflected in the week-to-date performance as well. You're looking at the Nasdaq losing about nearly 3%. To the S&P 500 losing about two and a quarter percent, and for the Dow Jones we lost about one percent. The cushioning for the Dow Jones on the downside came with Caterpillar gaining six percent. Its fourth week of gains as the construction maker continues to buck the trend in terms of performance, and of course it has a five percent rating on the Dow, so that kind of balanced the equation. And like I said, pretty much uh, arrested the downfall for uh, the major average. I do want to mark uh, the key loser, the newsmaker in the session last week, which was Apple on the back of earnings down 5%. This was the most significant one-day fall for Apple since September 2022. Uh, And you have to keep it in context because, you know, it's been a secular run for this classic compounding story all the way up uh, to 182-odd levels. And then this slide reflects that that could just be seen as a blip because the company is still uh, at a staggering $3 trillion. The market was, of course, uh, disappointed by what happened in the bread and butter devices business, even though services did well in terms of adding margins and contributing to margins uh, for Apple. And of course, the market is watching out for next, uh, the iPhone 15 Pro launch on September 22nd. So that's going to be a key trigger. But in the meantime, just taking some money off the table after what seemed like a mixed 
earnings. I don't want to mark treasury yields because there was a lot of action that played out in that market and we keep talking about the 210, 210, 210 every single day. You're looking at pretty much 70, 75 basis points as the spread between the 210 with the market focusing more at the short end of the yield curve where we are seeing uh, more buying interest where we're seeing perhaps a more uh, incremental allocation warren buffett has already spoken about how he's allocating more to the three month six month bills uh, and perhaps more activity on that front will come by this week as well because he's saying that this is going to be a weekly purchase uh, for the 10 year we're looking at the highest level uh, for this uh, for for the yield uh, since uh, november 2022 even for the 30 year we are looking at the highest level since october 2022 so some bit of cool off coming in at the long end of the duration which is why you're looking at uh, the curve steepening once again. Asian markets, very quickly recap the action there. We are looking at a mixed performance this morning. A lot of news in China in terms of what's happening with policy decision there and how uh, authorities are stepping up, in fact, uh, to help uh, with bringing about uh, a boost in sentiment. But uh, all in all, right now, the Hang Seng Index is down about quarter of a percent. Shanghai under pressure, ASX as well as the Nikkei 225, pretty listless, sideways, and packed in a range is the best way to describe sentiment here. Opening calls for Europe, uh, preparing you for the session ahead over here in this market. Given that last week was a bit all over the place, uh, we have uh, the CAC, DAX, FTSE, all of them signaling a softish start. And I want to wrap things up uh, with the U.S. futures action. Implied open suggesting that there could be a bounce. Now, whether or not that sustains, because we just have a few more hours to go before trade begins or not, remains to be seen. But yeah, I think the non-farm payrolls number, as you pointed out, Karen, will be top of mind for investors to digest and what this means for the economy. Let's just dig into that data a little bit further. U.S. non-farm payrolls came in lighter than expected for July, rising by 187,000 on month. That is compared to the Dow Jones estimate of 200,000. The unemployment rate came in lower than expected at 3.5%, while hourly wages rose by 0.4%. The latest data adds to signs the U.S. economy is cooling, with markets now putting the chances that the Fed will keep rates steady at a September meeting at more than 86%. Speaking to our colleagues stateside, Goldman Sachs Chief Economist Jan Hatzius and Blackstone Steve Schwartzman said the latest job figures show the fight against inflation is on the right path and that the Fed now must be well on track for a soft landing. There's a, an aspect of convergence here that Average hourly earnings have been a little firmer and the employment cost index, you know, surprised on the downside. So these things are converging to some degree. But overall, I think wage growth is decelerating, probably needs to decelerate further for that to be consistent with 2% inflation in the long term. The Fed is actually doing a pretty remarkable job, contrary to what people might have thought. Uh, and if the inflation continues to go down, um, that we have full employment, uh, then we may be able to skirt uh, a recession. There was a lot for markets to digest. I think the non-farm payrolls just adding to what was a fairly monster week for investors. Uh, you know, you were just pointing out that the Treasury story. I think for a lot of people, we got a ton of Tina last week. There is an alternative to stocks. And we've been talking about there is no alternative for a long time. But the reality is, as we saw the data, we saw the Bank of Japan, we saw money market reprice around the Fed. And the, the data just coming on top of it, the markets went, look, there is an alternative to what we're now seeing in terms of the stock market, a market that has run incredibly hard since the start of this year, getting very close to record highs. 
And I think uh, last, year, last week, as we talk about the significance, how significant was it for markets? Some people think it was hugely significant. I think others think we're now in this lull, this trading pattern that uh, typically comes with September, not a great month for stocks. And they're wondering whether we, we just press pause for the time being because of the other alternative. We can just park money in T-bills, we can park money in short-term treasuries, and we can effectively get a very strong rate of return at this stage. Oh, absolutely. And that would be the alternative to cash, right? Which is why you're looking at uh, Mr. Warren Buffett also stepping up uh, his purchases of uh, the shorter end, shorter duration bonds. Uh, I think it's very interesting, uh, Karen, on how all of this stacks up, especially the non-farm payrolls report, how it stacks up and what the Fed does next. Uh, in terms of their policy. The next policy is September 20th, right? So the expectation there is that we'll watch out for one more month of data, August, in terms of what's happening with inflation, what's happening with growth, what's happening with productivity gains, and also the labor market. Uh, what stood out for me in the labor report was, yes, indeed, we hit a new low in terms of job additions in this economic cycle, I think dating back all the way to mid-2020, but wage inflation right, going at 0.4% and an annualized rate of 4.4% is still higher than what the street was expecting. And will that be the point that will continue to weigh on the Fed? I think right now the market is pricing in 13% a chance uh, for a September hike and around 35% for November. But there's a lot of time between now and September 20th where the market can reprice if the data changes. And that, of course, will, will be a bearing that the Fed will have to take on board. Yeah, as we talk about a cooling in the labor market, 187,000 jobs Keep in mind it's not the 150,000 that the Fed has still been hoping to see to get us back to a much more normal level. And if we, we talk about wages and benefits, how much more it's costing uh, the employers than a year ago, it's still much, much more, a range of uh, plus four odd percent. So there's still heat in this labour market, even though we've still got encouraging signs. And I think that's what investors are trying to piece together. Higher for longer is a narrative that investors have really come to terms with in terms of rates. Mm -hmm. What are we going to see from here? And I think the data just reinforcing that narrative that uh, we've got an economy that is not cracking at this stage. I think yeah. some people will disagree with that, but there is a view amongst the central bank at least that we've got some strength here. And we are looking not at a hard landing scenario at this point, that a soft landing is the main scenario. And that means there could be room for the Fed to hold out at high rates for longer. That, of course, means many alternatives as we talk about the, the outlook for the stock market at this stage. Yeah. And, you know, just to break it down sector by sector, it's like healthcare, social assistance, financial activities, wholesale trade, all of those sectors saw good additions uh, in job with construction, which is Biden's uh, main area of focus. You know, he's talking about setting up factories, foundries, all of that. Uh, IRA, you know, he's obviously looking at building the whole supply chain. Construction as a space has seen a major, major shortage uh, in construction workers. And so th there are imbalances within the labor market. But as a whole, I, I completely agree with you. I think more and more when we speak to analysts and market participants, they're saying that it seems like a from a major recession, the upgrade happened to a mild recession. From a mild recession, now it's soft landing. And I think that's where the views are centered. We are going to park that conversation there. But just to let you know, BlackRock Steve Schwartzman says uh, last week's decision, that will be Blackstone's uh, Steve Schwartzman says last week's decision from Fitch to uh, downgrade the US credit rating is fully justified. You can watch the full interview uh, later on on CNBC by subscribing to our premium service at CNBC Pro. Siemens Energy has posted a net loss of almost 3 billion euros for the third quarter. This after technical problems at its Gamesa unit were discovered in June, with charges set to tally up to more than 2 billion euros. 
The company expects to post a net loss of 4.5 billion euros for the year, a six-fold increase on the year prior. However, CEO Christian Brook says strong performance across other units gives him confidence that the company can be put back on a strong foothold once the issues at Gamesa are overcome. Christian Brook joins us now, the CEO of Siemens Gamesa. Christian, just spell it out for us. There are a few competing factors here. The market looking, of course, at some of the issues you've had in the wind turbine business, the quality issues that have been flagged up to the market versus the underlying volume story. Just walk us through the events today. Yeah, good morning. I mean, this has been uh, indeed a very demanding quarter for us, obviously driven by the charges at Siemens Gamesa. There's uh, two main things which were driving uh, the challenges at Siemens Gamesa. The one thing is, as you said, there is in a, uh, two platforms of the onshore fleet, the 4X and the 5X, a quality issue. After a certain operational time, we recognized um, fixes which we have to do, which uh, obviously amount to roughly 1.6 billion in charges, and there's around 600 million in charges in addition uh, with the offshore ramp up. Uh, we are ramping up uh, around four factories at the moment to uh, really uh, satisfy the demand which is there for offshore. And uh, seeing the shortage in construction workers, delays, but still challenges in the supply chain, uh, that is something which meant for us another 600 million charge, and this is obviously coming together, and this is obviously overshadowing the actually excellent performance of the conventional energy business. So Christian, as you tally up the numbers from those wind turbine issues, the faults, the repairs, the replacement costs, what scenarios are you banking on in the future? What other wildcards could there be at this stage as we talk about the overall costs? Yeah, I think uh, obviously the one thing is obviously the quality problems really result from the past, but I think we have too fast rolled out uh, platforms into the market. That is not a uh, cost issue per se, that is really a quality issue in terms of going too fast with new products into the market. And the other thing is obviously now stabilizing the business in terms of ramping up the new factories. And uh, we're definitely uh, looking at the moment in terms of how do we ensure that we stabilize the work processes, that we really ramp up productivity. And uh, we also, on the quality side, we have uh, established a joint task force with the Siemens Energy people to work through the quality problems. I still believe the market itself, and you see it with the seven and a half billion orders we got in the wind business this quarter, is, let's say, a very interesting growth market. However, obviously, it has to be set up in a way that you can run a profitable business. And uh, obviously, uh, making sure that we slow down this uh, fast rollout of new products is a key element in this. And this focus on, um, let's say, less product platforms and more focus on certain regions will be a key element driving that forward. And we're going to reveal uh, the details around it on our Capital Market Day in November. Christian, good morning. Can we joining in this conversation in your uh, guidance uh for 2023, you said that the problem that Gamisa is facing is more severe than I thought possibly before. Uh, could you outline what would that mean in terms of the repair cost that goes in here? Because an analyst community is working with a number of $2 billion on that front. Sorry, could you repeat that question? I, I, I wanted to that. understand from you how much would it take to get to fix the problems that you're facing with the Siemens Gamisa? Uh, analysts believe that it could take about $2 billion to fix uh, what's happening with the technical issues there. 
Yeah, I mean, as we laid out for the quarter, uh, obviously is a 1.6 billion charge in uh, quarter three for the quality problems. There is some, let's say, um, related charges to that in quarter four uh, expected, which couldn't be booked in quarter three, which come in quarter, quarter four. But we have assessed the situation as such, obviously, based on all the information, what we have on a relatively thorough technical analysis. And this is what we're looking at the moment in terms of fixing these issues. Keep in mind, the charges are provisions for the future. So we expect this really over the next years only to evolve. And it will take us two to three years, obviously, to work through this. However, the charges we have, obviously, now to take now and we're going to work through the different elements over the next couple of years. And is there a time commitment on when you hope to resolve the matter? As I said, please keep one thing in mind. I mean, we de um, determined these quality issues relatively early in the process. So all of the turbines are operating and uh, obviously we expect to do the fixes on the quality side in coordination with the customers, ideally really during the normal service intervals. And so this will be now planned and be dependent, but it could be multiple years of working through it. While the turbines could continue to operate, uh, then we will plan the quality fixes accordingly to make sure that we minimize the impacts on our customers. And clearly a huge negative here as we take a look at the outlook uh, around this issue and cleaning up the wind turbine business. But when it comes to free cash flow, if I can just point to a positive here, pre-tax, uh, this improved a positive 27 million euros from a negative 25 million from the prior year and the quarter. What's the outlook for free cash flow from here? For, the, for this year, we expect uh, uh, negative up to uh, low three-digit million amount of euro in terms of free cash flow. That is obviously impacted by um, the situation at Siemens Gamesa. But you also see, obviously, that uh, a lot of the charges which we have taken are not yet cash flow effective. So this allows us to keep, um, obviously, the cash flow relatively intact. And uh, obviously, you, you see that obviously with the um, run rate today, it brings us in terms of a break even in quarter four on the cash flow. So that is obviously the logic we would look at for the year. Christian, also your tie-up with Shanghai Electric. I wonder you know, what that means in terms of the overall targets uh, for achieving uh, low-carbon cooperation. Well, I, I think these uh, discussions continue in multiple areas. Uh, Shanghai Electric is one, and obviously they have been a long-term partner for us in, in several areas, also on the conventional energy side. Um, we are obviously discussing further engagements in terms of the low-carbon area, um, and this will continue. And uh, obviously, as you know, uh, wind business is for us not a market in China. If so, it's only on a license type of agreement. But these discussions are unrelated to that. It's really about now fixing the quality issues of legacy platforms um, and obviously getting a fast ramp up, which is um, unprecedented in this industry. But uh, all the other discussions continue as planned. Can I just get to the Russia exposure, Christian? And the FT has been uh, running a piece about uh, direct losses from Russia for, for corporates across Europe, uh, telling it up to about a hundred billion euro number. Just looking at your special items, they declined to negative 41 million euros in the latest numbers, uh, heavily burdened by Russia here. Just give us a sense of the, the long lens as we look to the Russia issue. Just how much longer do you expect to see this exposure to Russia? 
No, let's be clear, right? I mean, the special items we had last year with the Russian business. So we uh, sold all our Russian activities last year. We are not doing business in Russia. Uh, so we retrieved relatively early this quarter. This is why this quarter actually the, the special items are lower compared to uh, the quarter prior year um, because we um, obviously closed down the Russian business last year. Christian Brucker, thanks very much uh, for joining us uh, and giving us uh, more insight into your earnings as well as the outlook thereof. Thank you very much for your time. That's the CEO of Siemens Energy. Coming up on the show this morning, Berkshire Hathaway posts its second quarter earnings and boasts a cash pile of nearly $150 billion. We're going to be taking a, a deep dive into those numbers as we go along in the show. Also on the earnings front, Ramco will publish its quarterly figures. We break uh, the numbers as they come out at 9 a.m. CET. And we'll also be speaking uh, to Corrado Pacera, Italy's former economy minister and the founder of CEO, founder and CEO of Illuminati, uh, as the digital bank posts a 66% jump in first half net profits. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. The bulk of earnings season may well be behind us, but there's still plenty to digest this week. Kicking off with all behemoth, Saudi Aramco reporting first half results today. Now stateside, we will also get some numbers rolling through. This from Disney on Wednesday, SoftBank, Sony, Alibaba, Siemens and Vestas round out just a few more of the other big corporates also reporting this week. Meantime, a huge focus around those non-farm payrolls numbers still as we wrapped up the trading week. But on the data front, we will get headline inflation figures from Germany on Tuesday, China on Wednesday and the United States on Thursday. So the market looking for a little bit of cooling off there when it comes to those CPI numbers still. Now, President Biden is expected to unveil a new executive order screening outbound investments to China this week. The restrictions will target private equity, venture capital and joint venture investments in semiconductors, quantum computing and artificial intelligence. That's according to Reuters. Meantime, uh, elsewhere, Chinese authorities are reportedly putting pressure on domestic economists to avoid mentioning deflation risks. The Financial Times spoke with several well-regarded economists who said they were, or they were instructed to avoid speaking negatively about a range of topics from capital flight to softening prices. The clampdown comes as authorities struggle to restore confidence in the country's post-COVID recovery picture following a string of disappointing data. Karen, let's talk about uh, one of our other big stories this morning. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway posted operating earnings a growth of 6.6% in the second quarter with the company's insurance business boosted by higher interest rates. Berkshire also reported near record high cash holdings which could grow in the coming quarter as well after Warren Buffett said that the company will continue to invest in short-term treasuries despite, despite Fitch's downgrade. 
Arbele Gumede joins us to break down that story with more. Arbele, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Tanvera. Look, this story is about two critical parts, right? And really is just interest rates as well as valuation of stock. The changes in both have really impacted how Berkshire Hathaway performed, particularly in that second quarter. Let's unpack it a little bit more. But just to let it be known then that the change in earnings because of higher interest rates on investment income has meant then that you saw that offset the, down, uh, the downhill slope that we kind of saw when it comes to the economy because of those very same higher interest rates. But they meant then that Berkshire Hathaway reported a more than 10.04 billion dollar operating margin then in that second quarter. It is the highest they've ever recorded for that second quarter, up 6.6% from the $9.42 billion that they had recorded in the same quarter then. And that just proves how things have gone, particularly on that interest rate uh, income rise then. Plus, you had a dividend payout, and this has helped the auto insurance company, Geico, which saw good gains, that insurance business managing to make up a little bit more money. Their energy portfolio, Berkshire Hathaway's energy portfolio, has been one to really look at as well in a time like this, specifically Pacific Core Electric, which unfortunately does have a more than $1 billion pre-tax loss, which they may incur. And that is because of the wildfires happening out of Oregon then. And that has unfortunately meant that if that does come to fruition, then they're going to be liable for that figure. So it may begin to hurt their operating earnings. But for now, you're seeing that swing for $10.4 billion. A net income then, which has swung almost $80 billion from a loss of around $43 billion, then to that profit then of $35.91 billion there. Investment gains, this is very critical then. Their investment in the likes of Apple have really helped them move up. $26 billion in unrealized investment gains there. That is on the back of, of course, Apple having moved up 18% in the second quarter alone. That stock has certainly pushed um, the investments a whole lot higher. So how's that stock, Berkshire Hathaway stock, performed in relation then to the uh, ultimate market, the S&P going up around 17% then um, in the year-to-date fixture, 16.63 to be uh, precise, nearly 14% higher though is Berkshire Hathaway. So almost moving in step with the market in some respects. But as, as I said, it is about those items in, those portfo in their portfolio which haven't necessarily had organic growth but it's because of what they've added uh, when it comes to the valuation and then the dropping off of some of those stocks too. So the big five uh, items in the portfolio of Berkshire Hathaway, that being Apple, having gone up 40%, as I said, that has had a big impact then. They also were net sellers in some of these stocks, right? So they were a net seller overall of $353 billion in shares, half of which are Apple. Their bet in Apple alone sees, them, sees that figure at $177.6 billion is how much they've had. At the bottom of that list, Chevron, it down 11% compared to the S&P's gain of 17%. So it does give you a clear picture of that energy portfolio losses. But overall, a bumper quarter for Herkshire Bathaway. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.